All right, welcome into the first bowl episode, RJ Bell's Dream Preview College Football Edition. Pregame.com brings it to you. And Taylor McCarg, AJ Hoffman, we are here. We're going to break down all the games leading, I think, from like December 17th to the 21st. That's it's a. It's not a very long stretch, but there's like 10 or 11 games early. Uh, next Tuesday, we'll break down the next week's worth of games. Uh, schedule is kind of TBD, but we're going to try to get you some, at least some sort of take on every bowl game going this year. Taylor, how you doing, man? All good. Good to be back after a week off. And, uh, you know, these were, I played at Rice, right? So these were the bowl games that, that I paid attention to. So a lot of people, they don't get that excited about these, but Actually, there's a lot of stuff in here. I think we've got some good matchups, and uh, these are some of the more fun bowl games, in my opinion, on that early slate that we'll get to preview here. You know, I wanted to ask you, what, what bowl games did you play in when you were at Rice? What, what were your uh, what was what was your schedule? Do you remember them all? Yeah, yeah, played in uh, the Armed Forces Bowl, and then played in the Liberty Bowl, and then the year after I left, they played in the Hawaii Bowl. Oh, that sucks. So the Armed <laughs> Forces Bowl and the Liberty Bowl, if I'm not mistaken, you didn't travel very far for those games, right? Yeah, Fort Worth for Armed Forces and then yep. uh, Memphis for Liberty. Oh, okay, so. Memphis. So at least it was a trip. Now, like, was, was the excitement level for the Liberty Bowl higher because you guys were going out of state? It was like it felt like a real trip. It was it was higher because that was the reward at the time for winning Conference USA. So you win Conference USA, you get to play. I think it was the seventh or eighth best SEC team. Unfortunately for us, we got paired with the greatest six and six team of all time, that 2013 Mississippi State team with Dak Prescott, who the next year goes on to be one and two in the country for like half the season. Um, but it was you know excitement was high for that one. It was also pretty high in in 2012 because we had to win four in a row to even go to a bowl. So we're playing Air Force in Fort Worth, and that was like the Super Bowl for us. So, uh, and then, you know, it, the last year after I left, you go to the Hawaii Bowl. I mean, are you kidding me? It's like the greatest trip in the world for a Conference USA team. It's, it's similar to this first one we'll talk about with the Bahamas Bowl. Yeah, I, it's, I can't believe, first of all, I can't believe you got outdueled by Dak Prescott. You suck. I know. Uh, but, but I was also, you know, I was, I've, I've talked to some guys before and, and I was, I was around a lot of people who went to Texas and, and they would say like getting to go to the Alamo bowl was the worst because like, you play all season and you want this, like you want this experience and driving, you know, 60 miles down the road isn't, isn't exactly a thrill, so, I, but I guess that's also maybe the the spoils of playing at Texas versus playing at Rice, where maybe everything is is a, a exciting. The, the, just the fact that you're getting to play in a bowl game is exciting. Yeah, I think it it totally depends on situation, right? I mean, there's some of these teams that thought they were, you know, take BYU for example. With, with they thought midway through the season they may have a, a outside shot at the playoffs, and then in their bowl they end up playing UAB. And you've seen some of their players tweet about, you know, they're disappointed. There's other teams that they backdoor into a bowl like Old Dominion. It doesn't matter where you you could have them play anywhere on earth, and they'd be excited to be there. So I think it depends on you know the the status of the program at the time. Did your head coach get fired, and you're still in a, a lame duck bowl game? Um, and then for the northern teams, do you get to go south? Do you get a week somewhere warm? Um, it, it all depends very much on that you know on the school situation at the time. So just a uh, an update from last week's, or I guess the last pod that we did, which was two weeks ago. 
0 2 on best bets. We only we only had one each. We both lost. Western Kentucky, uh, disappointing. Really a disappointing start, and couldn't dig themselves out of a hole against UTSA. Uh, and you know what? I was just I was wrong. I, I thought that Western Kentucky's defense was going to be able to make some stops. And they just didn't. Uh, UTSA ran the ball at will on them. And Western Kentucky, the, the threat of that offense, which is so explosive, is you're going to have a lot of three and outs. And they had a lot of three and outs early. And and there was really a lot of just ball control uh, for UTSA, who ended up kind of running away with that thing. And then Western Kentucky makes a furious comeback, makes me think I got a shot. And then they come up short. And then you had, which I believed in too, the Houston Cougars, uh, who really at halftime, they were right in that game with Cincinnati and you know, a, a couple of events, like a, 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 I would say a bad penalty call leads to points for Cincinnati. Uh, you know, a, a big, a big play touchdown right afterwards. So it was almost like they scored 14 points in I think two minutes and it just kind of blew the thing open. So, uh, and, and then I think from there it just got away from Houston, but I, I think we were, we were close, but obviously close doesn't cash tickets. What were your thoughts on those two games? Yeah, I was surprised at UTSA's ability to really jump all over Western Kentucky. Um, I think the crowd had a huge impact there. If you've ever been to the Alamo Dome, it doesn't take that many people to make that place loud. And credit to UTSA, they did a really good job getting that thing packed, and they jumped all over Western Kentucky. For Houston, it was, like you talked about, it was that third quarter. I mean, they're down a point going into half. I'm feeling great about my bet. I'm thinking – you know, potentially Houston could win this game. In the second half, Cincinnati, the, the pass interference call, you're right. I do think that there was a ton of impact on that one play, but really the entire second half totally took over in that game and, and really from a physicality standpoint and showed why Cincinnati was the better team and, and had that big number attached to them. Um, but I that pass interference penalty did a, a lot swung on that play. Yeah, it, it was a uh, a rough week for us, but that's all right. 42 points for me, 37 for you on the year. The expectation, 35 and a half. So we both uh, exceeded expectation for the year. Let's try and have ourselves a good bowl season. So here's the deal. I got a couple things I want to give to our listeners before we get started here. First of all, there's a college football bowl contest going on at pregame.com. It's free to enter. Top prize, $1,500. Yeah, $1,500 free entry. That's not even gambling. That's just, I mean, that's, it, and Taylor, I think you you can win this thing actually. Yeah, I can't, but you can. <laughs> uh, so go to pregame.com, find it in the contest link. It's bowl time. Pregame has a free contest, $1,500 to first place, a thousand cash, 500 pregame bulk dollars, uh, sides and totals only the best win percentage wins. The action obviously kicks off this Friday. First place, 1000 cash and 500 bulk dollars. Second place, 250 cash and 250 bulk dollars. Third place, 100 cash and 100 bulk dollars. So don't miss your chance to win that. Go to pregame.com, click on contest, look under the join contest header, then click the orange join button for the college football bowl bonanza contest. It's free to enter, so get there today. And while you're there, Use a code. We, we haven't given you guys anything for, for sticking with us on this podcast. And I said, you know what? Let's do some. Let's do something for the people. So they gave me a promo code at pregame.com. Good for one use, 25% off anything at pregame.com. Use the code AJ25. That's valid through this next Monday, December 20th. AJ25 will get you 25% off. And if you're a new member, 
you get a, basically a free best bet. If you're new to the site or an existing user, you've yet to cash in your free $25 credit given at sign up. You can get best bets at no cost. Go to pregame.com, click on buy picks across the top of the page, select the package you want, and your free 25 bucks is waiting for you in your shopping cart right there to apply. So there you go. You've got there's some chances to get some free stuff, win some money. It's a it's a it's a good day. All right, Taylor, let's get into these bowl games. Let's get into the excitement. And we'll start with the first one on the board, the Bahamas Bowl. You didn't get to go to the Bahamas Bowl. You got to go to Fort Worth. Uh, Toledo minus 10 against Middle Tennessee State. We'll look at a total around 52 and a half. What do you think on this one, Taylor? Yeah, the, the first thing that jumps out is that it's the Bahamas Bowl, right? And this is, uh, these are the types of games that are total wild cards because you have no idea which team, just so people know, teams treat these very differently. Some staffs will have a curfew where you got to be back in and they do a full check. Other staff, they've gotten their bonuses and they don't care. They turn these kids loose. And that, this is the type of game where you may find out after the game that, you know, one school had their kids out the night before the game, let them do whatever they wanted. So anyway, I would caveat all of these early bowls. If it's not a New Year's Six or it's not a big bowl, it's really a, a total wild card on how these are treated by the staff. For this game, Middle Tennessee was one of those that limped to a, a, a 500 and sort of it was a team that I did not think would get to bowl eligibility this year. Toledo had a chance. They played like so much of the Mac did this year, played everything close, had a chance. Um, I, I thought at one point to make a run in the Mac and then obviously did not. I think that Toledo's the better team. I like them at, at 10. Um, I also like the over in this game, but I would lean towards anything on Toledo's side, not as much to, to Middle Tennessee in this game. Yeah, uh, Toledo was, if you remember the preseason, projected to be one of the best teams in the MAC. Right. And they just had a really awful start to the season. And they've picked it up, and it's mostly because of their defense. I mean, they, they played the, one of the few MAC teams that actually gives a shit on defense. And they've gone up, obviously, they're in the MAC. They've gone up against some really explosive offensive uh, offenses. But it, it's hard to imagine. Middle Tennessee State doing a whole lot on that side of the ball. They're down to their third and fourth string quarterbacks. Uh, Chase Cunningham was their starter. He suffered a season-ending in- injury. Uh, Bailey Hockman, who was their backup, played for a little while, then retired from football. And then the drop-off to to Mike DeLiello and Nick Vadiado, the, the two guys they've been kind of rotating, it's pretty it's pretty noticeable. It's a it's it's a pretty clear drop-off. Toledo also changed quarterbacks mid-season but it was a positive uh Daquan Finn has been surprisingly good uh for a freshman he's thrown one pick all year in fact Toledo leads the nation in fewest turnovers they've they've turned the ball over six six times all season long and Middle Tennessee State they rely heavily on forcing turnovers I don't think they get them here and, and if you look at the metrics Middle Tennessee State they they look like they're solid against the run but they didn't play against anybody who runs the ball. When, when they played run-heavy teams earlier in the season, they got eaten up. See the Virginia Tech game, see Liberty, see Charlotte. All those games, they allowed over 200 yards on the ground. They were all Middle Tennessee losses. Uh, I think Toledo controls the clock. I think Middle Tennessee State has a hard time scoring. I like Toledo. I'm, I'm actually a like on this one, Toledo minus 10. All right, let's take a look at the Cure Bowl. I don't know. What are they curing? Do we know? Is it meats or cancer? I believe it's cancer, but 
I'm not entirely sure. I believe this is the one that all the logos are pink. So I'm almost certain this okay. is cancer and not any sort of meat. Okay, I'm for either one. Uh, like I am for curing cancer and I'm for cured meats. So either one would be good to me. Uh, I, I'll start on this one because I I, I know you've got a, an opinion on it, and you you may I mean you may talk me out of my side of things. I, I hate Northern Illinois. I hate them. They feel like the luckiest luck box team in the history of man. I hate their quarterback. I I really don't understand how they're good to be honest. And. I, they play in the MAC East, which someone had to win, I guess, and and they did. But it, so I, I'm I, now that that's out of the way. I guess let's look at the game. Coastal played like they were supposed to play for most of this season, and then they ended up losing two games by a total of five points. They went from thinking they could be a New Year's Six team to the Cure Bowl. I don't know if that factors in, like you talked about BYU early. I don't know if that factors in for Coastal. They were one of those teams that thought maybe we could go undefeated. Maybe we could get a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, Grayson McCall, though, I think he's got an NFL future. This is this has been one of the, the best quarterbacks, group of five quarterbacks. He's been banged up all year. All signs point to him playing, though. Grayson McCall has the best PFF grade for a G5 quarterback in the last two years. And check out this number. The best pass efficiency rating of all time this season. 207.9 was his pass efficiency rating. For perspective, the next guys on that list, Mac Jones, Joe Burrow, Tua Tagovailoa, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, and Zach Wilson. All those guys' first-round picks. And... It, this is, I mean, this guy's having an, a, a phenomenal season. And Northern Illinois was able to slow down Kent's offense in the MAC championship game, mostly because Kent couldn't convert on third downs over and, and it drove me crazy because I was on the over in that game and Kent just didn't do their part. They could not convert a third down. Drove me insane. Coastal converts third downs, the highest rate in the nation. I feel like Northern's a, a sort of a predictable offense and Coastal has too many ways to score. So I was leaning Coastal, but I know you kind of uh, you kind of like the other side. Where, give, me, give me your perspective on it. Yeah, you're exa- what you said about Northern Illinois is, is spot on and that when you watch them, so many of their results, you're like, how in the world did they end up winning that game? Going into the, the MAC championship, they were the only team in the country that had a negative points differential and they were eight and four. Um, it's a team that muddies up games consistently, and that is exactly what they're going to try and do against Coastal. Coastal also has been given the benefit of the doubt. And I, some of this has been refined in the back half of the season, but given the benefit of the doubt, I think in large part to what they accomplished last season, that they were below 500 against the spread this year, where Northern Illinois, the exact opposite, 8-4-1 and one against the spread this year. And this is the type of game that Northern Illinois keeps close and you look back at the end and they lose that that half point that hook at the end is is really key here there's a very real chance that they lose this game by 9 or 10 but it's the exact type of game especially in a bowl game that they hang around they create some goofy turnovers they sit on the ball and do things where you look up at the end and and they've covered just like they have the rest of the season yeah, I, I mean, I, I could see that happening. Certainly, uh, I, I don't. I don't. I'm just not. I, I don't know. I can't. I can't put myself in their basket. I don't want <laughs> anything to do with them. I'm. Re- I am against them. Uh, but uh, 
I think now two things have happened. You telling me that that you're you're pretty firm on Northern Illinois, and then it, the line going from ten to ten and a half yesterday. It was ten yesterday. Now it's ten and a half. I, I'll probably be off this game, but I was certainly leaning pretty heavy to uh, to Coastal. All right, let's go to Saturday, the New Mexico Bowl, the bowl we've all been waiting for. Fresno State minus ten and a half against UTEP. Go ahead and take the lead on this one. Yeah, the first just straight out of the gate. Fresno State is a much better team, top to bottom. UTEP seven and five. That is incredible. It, to go to a bowl game at UTEP is really a, a remarkable feat. It's a hard place to recruit, and I, I give kudos to UTEP and what they accomplished this season. All that being said, nine and three Fresno State is a much better football team than UTEP. Uh, several of UTEP's wins, especially early in the season, were, were picking on some of the worst teams in the FBS. And, you know, un- unfortunately, I've got to include my Rice Owls in that bunch as well, who they were losing to in, in the second half. Um, it's top to bottom. This is still a, a bottom 25-ish team in the country, but they, they play in, in Conference USA and were able to pick on some of the little guys. They will not be able to hide from this Fresno team. If there was anything that I liked in this game, I know it's a big number at 11 and a half, but that would be the side that I would really think about playing because I think Fresno State, again, top to bottom, depth-wise, in this up-front offensive and defensive line, they're going to be much more physical than this UTEP team will be. Yeah, I am pretty much right in step with you on this one. This is um, – it, it, UTEP is such a good story that it's hard to be like, oh, they stink, but they do kind of stink. They've only one of their seven wins this season came against a bowl eligible team. That was 28, 21 win over six and six old dominion. Uh, Now there are questions with Fresno. Kalen DeBoer, he's taken over the Washington job. He's gone. Ryan Grubb, the offensive coordinator gone Uh, running backs coach. He's going to be the head coach. Lee Marks is going to be the head coach for this game. And Kellen Moore's brother, Kirby Moore, who's the wide receiver coach, he's going to call the plays. I At first I thought, ooh, I'm going to be looking at UTEP because Jake Hayner said, I'm out, I'm transferring. And, and the assumption was Jake Hayner was going to go to Washington with his coach. But Jake Hayner's come out and said, you know what, I'm coming back, coming back to Fresno. And that's huge against this team. UTEP grades 84th in coverage per PFF that they are primed for the picking against this Fresno team. And I think while there's a lot of questions as far as the coaching goes, this is a team that won at UCLA. They won at San Diego State. They almost won at Oregon. I just don't see how UTEP keeps up in this one. I think this could end up being one of the the kind of blowout bowl games, the New Mexico Bowl uh, for Fresno. Yeah, we're on the same side on this one. All right, let's take a look at the New Orleans Bowl. Louisiana, the Ragin' Cajuns, minus five and a half against Marshall. Actually, five, right, McKenzie? I, I may have, I think I didn't uh, properly adjust my, on that one. You told me before the thing, five. So Louisiana minus five against Marshall. Yes, that is correct. Five consensus, but there's four and a half, fives and out. Five and a half also out there. Do your shopping. All right. Then Mar- the total right now, 55 and a half. What are you seeing on this one? If there's anything that I liked in this, it would, it would actually be the over at 55 in this game. In terms of the matchup, I think this would be the absolute number one bowl on the slate really anywhere. Well, I shouldn't say anywhere. Let's take out the, the New Year's six and playoff games. But 
in terms of what game has the ability for a, a quote-unquote home team atmosphere, and it's this one with ULL is going to pack the dome, and Marshall may have uh, you know a couple thousand fans here, but I don't think this is one that they're going to be at seven and five. I don't, I'm not sure that they're going to travel real well to this one. Um, I like if I was. It's not so much a like; it's more of a lean to ULL at at that five number. I think they're the better team. But I really like the over in this game. There's been a handful of matchups for Marshall this season. You think back to Western Kentucky. I know ULL doesn't do the same things that our boy Bailey Zappi and, and Western Kentucky does on offense. But the shootout that that game turned into, I think this has the potential for, for points to be scored. I like 55. I like over 55. And I would lean towards ULL at that five number. Yeah, I think you and I are kind of – I think we're looking at this game a little bit differently. Um I I guess it, it was a bit of a surprise considering the size of the job that Billy Napier got that he stayed on for the Sun Belt Championship game, but he's gone and he's he's taken a lot of coaches with him. I think the offense struggles with him out, but I think the fact that they promoted from within may make that drop off a little bit less noticeable. But the the defense is legit, but they're Patrick Tony, the DC, he's another one of the guys leaving for the Cajuns. I, there were questions about Marshall, about whether Grant Wells was going to play, but it, it, everything I've seen says he is going to play. Marshall's defense is top 40 in scoring. So while, I, and ULSD is obviously, I mean, ULSD is near a top 10 defense in the country. But again, the DC, I, I, I don't know what happens, but Marshall's is not bad. See, I think this kind of ends up being a lower scoring game. My problem is, I, I, like, I'm trying to think, oh, is it, an, is it an advantage for Louisiana to be playing two hours from home? Um, but my power ratings only have these teams separated by two points, and that's not factoring in that Billy Napier is not going to be there. So, I, I, for me, this the the number is just too high for me to swallow in a game that I think is going to be a, a sort of a lower scoring game. So I, I kind of lean the opposite way of you on these. I, I kind of lean to Marshall, and I lean to it being a lower scoring game. The only thing that I would say in favor of that is again going back to this. Really, it's hard to quantify this, but this does have impact. How impactful is ULL playing this close to home? And and they're out all week, right? What does preparation look like? You've got a new staff coming in. And not only that, it's easier when you get them out of their, their element for them to focus in a little, a little bit more. Is this, this very well could be the case, like I was talking about at the Open, where ULL is, is turned loose on Bourbon for five nights in a row, and they show up. Or they show up for, for game day and they've got nothing left in the tank. That, that could very well be something that I don't think people realize with some of these bowl games, you'll have a team that comes out and just totally lays an egg and you find out it's because they didn't give two you-know-whats about the game and they were just partying all week because the coaches all got their bonuses by this point. Yeah, well, in, in this case, the coach is out the door. Yeah, and he's gone. Yeah, so there may not be quite the discipline you would expect uh, normally. Uh, yeah, this is this is a, a tough game for me. Mostly, and like I said, I was I wanted to know if how it felt playing. If you like, if you preferred to play the bowl games close to home or not. Uh, you know, Marshall's going to be excited. Marshall's ex- the, the you know Marshall's one of those programs. They're in a bowl game. They're stoked, and they, they have a pretty successful bowl history. They like they they play hard. Uh, but yeah, this is this is a tough game for me. I think there's just so many questions with Napier being gone. All right, let's take a look at maybe the most fun bowl uh, on, on this slate anyway. The Boca Raton. Is it Boca Raton or Boca Raton? I would say Boca Raton. Okay, that's what I thought too. 
but I don't know. I, I what, I, what do I, I'm not, I'm not great at geography. I'm not from there. I have no idea. But Appalachian State minus three against my boys at Western Kentucky. Uh, and I'll just go ahead and I'll start this, and I'll start with something that's made us a lot of money on this podcast this year, and I, I think it will again. Western Kentucky overs. Um, I, I think we've got another good one here. And Appalachian State, their defense, that's their strength. Their their metrics look solid. But they have not had to deal with a lot of high-powered throwing attacks. And when they did play those teams, they didn't look that great. They, they are built specifically to stop the run. And Western Kentucky doesn't really need the run. They can. They, they don't really need to. Obviously, Western Kentucky has its flaws on defense, particularly against the run. Uh, that's going to be exposed here against a solid App State rush attack. It was exposed against UTSA. One thing Western Kentucky does do is create turnovers, and App State is not careful with the ball. They turn the ball over a ton, and you're saying, oh, extra possessions for Bailey Zappi. Guess what that's going to lead to? UTSA ran for over 300 yards, five touchdowns uh, against this Western Kentucky team. I I think we could see another strong showing from App State. For Western Kentucky, they lose Zach Kitley. He was the OC that that came from uh, Houston Baptist and brought all the transfers in. He he parlayed this gig into the OC job at Ohio State, which is pretty cool. But uh, the good thing, he's going to be gone. But the players, there's a couple players enter the transfer portal. They have said they're going to stay and play this game for Western Kentucky. So I, I think you're going to get another a similarly good look on offense here. My, I'll lean to Western Kentucky plus three, but over 67 and a half is going to be my play for sure. With you on on both sides of this, I don't have much conflict for you on this. The the piece that would concern me is that Zach Kitley left. However, I think Bailey Zappi's talented enough that they may, I mean, gosh, they may just turn it over to him and let him call plays on some of these drives. I will see how much <laughs> they actually do that. But Western Kentucky's talented enough. They're going to get theirs. I like them to win this game. Uh, so that would be the side that that. Them as the underdog in this game is what I I would even think about you know the money line on this for Western Kentucky the, the sixty seven and a half. I, Go ahead. I, I was gonna say I think you're right. I think if you are gonna if like if you think Western Kentucky can win, I, I wouldn't worry about three points in a game where I think it's gonna there's gonna be so many points scored. I don't know that a field goal really matters. If you can get some value on the money line, uh, that, that's probably the way to go uh, more than than taking the three. But it, it, the over just feels like. I don't know how it doesn't get there. Yeah, I. if it doesn't get there, it's going to be because App State didn't hold up their end of the bargain because I think Western Kentucky coming off the loss, like we talked about them getting really pushed around by UTSA, I imagine they're going to throw – I mean, this is this is it for Bailey Zappi. So I, they're going to throw everything they have into this last game. Um, I would imagine they get theirs again. But I like them winning this game outright, and the money line would be what I would think about in this game. All right, let's take a look at the Independence Bowl. BYU seven-point favorites against UAB. Go ahead and take the lead on this one. Yeah, gosh, this one to me, I would think about UAB in this game and not because from a power ranking standpoint, I think BYU is a much better team and – the reason that I lean towards UAB in this is this is the classic bowl game that BYU just does not care. And I, I mentioned this earlier. They had players tweeting out after the, the bowls were announced. 
how disappointed they were that this was where they were headed and who their opponent was going to be. They didn't want to go to Shreveport, Louisiana? <laughs> from Provo, from the, the beautiful mountains in Utah down to Shreveport, Louisiana to play a, a Conference USA team. That They were not very fired up about that, and they let that be known. And I, you were, I, that's the piece that I worry about. I, I take, again, I think BYU is a much better team in this game. Um, but what sort of effort do they come out with? And for UAB, this is a massive challenge for them. And they, I imagine their preparation is going to look a lot different than it will for BYU with it at a touchdown. I think UAB has enough talent to keep this close. I would take UAB plus the seven. Yeah, I, I think this actually makes for a pretty intriguing matchup. Uh, I, I think BYU, it, it's you know, you say they're disappointed. I think they have to be pretty happy with the way the season went, given everything that they lost last year, including the number two pick in the draft. Like going ten and two is strong, and a win here would give them a top ten finish. And UAB, they're the way they're going to have to run successfully to hang in this game. Because BYU will give up chunk plays on the ground, but UAB is going to be without Dwayne McBride, who was one of the best running backs in the country this year. He ran for just under 1,200 yards at 6.8 yards per carry, 12 touchdowns on the season, and they lost him in the last game of the season. So for a team that's built on the run, that's tough. Jermaine Brown is a serviceable backup, but there's a drop off. And then UAB's other big weapon on offense is, is a tight end named Garrett Prince, who's like a legit playmaking tight end. And BYU struggled against tight ends at times this year, so there's something there's something there. I, I think he's worth monitoring. But the the player that I'm really kind of worried about is Alex Wright, uh, who is probably the best defensive player in in that conference. Six seven two seventy edge rusher. He's going to play on Sundays. His PFF grade was a ninety one point three, which is the second highest in FBS this year. I don't know if he's going to play in this game. And if he sits out, I don't know that UAB has enough to disrupt the the BYU offense, which I think is very balanced. If he plays, I think a full touchdown is too much to give. So I'm going to wait and see on this one. But I really think that one guy, Alex Wright, could make a, a big difference. This is a, a, a UAB defense that is wildly underrated. They are very, very good. And if if he's out, if he's not in the, on the field, then I, I think they may, uh, they, they may have a harder time. You're going with the uh... – what we would call actual data, where I'm sitting here thinking about BYU motivation. BYU wants nothing to do with this game. I, I, I really, I mean, I don't. I, listen, man, there, there are lots of ways to look at these bowl games, and I don't know that one is right and one is wrong. Uh, I, I think motivation has to factor in. I think coaching changes have to factor in. I think what players are sitting out has to factor in. I mean, that's what makes kind of the bowl, betting the bowls so so intriguing because there are lots of different ways to look at it. All right, let's get to uh, another big one, the Lending Tree Bowl. Liberty minus eight and a half against Eastern Michigan. What are you seeing here? Yeah, Liberty is the much better side in this one to me. Uh, Liberty had a – there was a couple games this season where Liberty was – it felt like they played down to their opponent. And that's the only thing that worries me in this game is, okay, we're getting a Mac team. Uh, maybe they thought they had, you know, maybe there were bigger aspirations, um, but it's the better side in this game. Eastern Michigan, they came out of that, that jumbled up group out of the Mac that felt like, you know, with three weeks left in the season, you had no idea who was going to represent really either side in the Mac. 
Eastern Michigan comes out seven and five, five and seven on the year against the spread. Liberty six and six against the spread. So both of these teams, I don't have a great feel one way or the uh, one way or the other. If there was a side that I like, it would be the under at fifty eight and a half. Uh, but in, at that Liberty at minus nine, that's a big number for a team that I just don't know. Like I said, they they had too many games. I think back to their win over North Texas earlier in the year, where they were the much better team. And it took a fourth quarter rally for them to win that game. Those are the type of performances that make me nervous when they're a, a nine point favorite. But the under in this game would be what I would think about. So I think here, here's, and this is again where we look at, at motivating factors. Oftentimes, when you have a, a quarterback who's a potential first round pick, they're going to sit this game out. Uh, the Lending Tree Bowl? You're kidding me? I'm not playing in that. Malik Willis is a, a a special case because he is. There are questions about him that he would like to to answer, and he he is potentially a, a first round pick. And this is sort of a showcase opportunity for him to kind of improve his draft stocks. Um, and he gets to do it against an Eastern Michigan team that, of all the teams with a winning record this season. Only one team graded worse than Eastern Michigan on the defensive side of the ball, and that was Northern Illinois. Uh, they are 110th in total defense in PFF, 115th in pass coverage. So there, there's some real opportunities for Malik Willis to kind of show out here. And Eastern Michigan's quarterback, Ben Bryant, who took over in week three, kind of pumped some life into this team. But he threw just one touchdown in the last three games. He's posted a sub-50 QBR the last two games against the other directional Michigan schools. The fact that Willis is playing is almost enough for me to like this because it, it tells me he cares. Like it, it, there's, there's motivation. If, if a guy who's a likely first-round pick is going to play in the, the Lending Tree Bowl, they're motivated. Uh, Liberty's coming off three straight losses, but they were probably the three toughest games on their schedule this year. It was Ole Miss, it was Louisiana, and it was Army. So this is a, a chance to end on a high note. It's a chance for Malik Willis to to kind of improve or solidify his draft stock. So I, I kind of I, – I think I like Liberty minus eight and a half here in this game. There you go. All right, let's take a look at the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl. Jimmy Kimmel's got some bread, man. Good for him. And I, I was reading a little bit about this, and this is a cool – like this is one of those bowl games. Like if you're going to have to go to a shitty bowl game – this would be a cool one. Going to L.A., playing in SoFi, you get to go to Jimmy Kimmel's show. Uh, I mean, there, there's all like the kids are excited about this, and this should actually be a pretty decent bowl game. Oregon State, and they're the only Power Five team we're going to talk about this week. They are going to be motivated. You can say, you know, oh, Power Five team playing a crappy bowl, they're not motivated. This is. Oregon State's first bowl game in eight years. And the film on Oregon State is better than the results have been. They, they grade 12th overall in offense per PFF. They're only one of the two teams in the top 20 that didn't win at least eight games this year. And I think that the guy who's going to be really key for them is B.J. Baylor. They're running back uh, against a Utah State team that, that grades out poorly against the run, 89th nationally against the run. The Beavers five and one in games where he hits the hundred yard mark, and Utah State just had one of their most impressive offensive performances of the season. They put up forty six points on San Diego State in the Mountain West Championship game. That's crazy. The prior to that, no one had scored more than thirty one 
against the Aztecs. And one of the another unique thing about this game, uh, Utah State's leading rusher, Calvin Tyler, transferred from Oregon State last year. So, they, I mean, he obviously knows the team pretty well. Uh, the Beavers will be without the Pac-12's leading tackler, Avery Roberts, who had – he's going to play on Sundays too. He had ankle surgery. He's going to enter the draft. So he's, he's not going to participate in this game. But I, I think the motivation angle here is, is, is big. Uh, I think that the fact that Oregon State's going to be able to run the ball successfully is big. So I, I lean towards Oregon State here in this one. I agree with you 100% on motivation, but I think it goes both ways in this game. And for Utah State, you talked about their winning the conference championship the way that they did out of the Mountain West. They're 9-4 and four against the spread this year. And I think a big reason why is numbers have gone against them in a way that it, they've been the underdog in a few games or it's been you know games where the line is much closer than I think it should have been. It was the same way last week against San Diego State. And I think about that again in this game. I would lean the other direction. I like Utah State to keep this close. I think Oregon State wins this game, but I think it's closer to a field goal game. And I completely agree with you that this, for – for motivation purposes for both of the programs and their storylines, I think is maybe as high as uh, you know any of these teams that we see in the early slate. But it is impactful that both of these teams are going to a bowl that it, they, it actually has some allure to it. Like getting to play in LA, all of the things that you mentioned with Jimmy Kimmel, I, th- th- those things matter. You know, kind of the opposite of what we talked about with BYU and their bowl game. So I think this game matters on both sides, and because of that. I don't see Utah State losing by a touchdown or more. I think they keep this, again, within within a field goal. All right, let's take a look at the bowl to end all bowls, the the most famous bowl of all, the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. Uh, Wyoming, three-point favorites against Kent State. And I'll kind of – I'll kick us off here. This is a weird matchup because this is a team that's basically all offense versus a team that's all defense. And Wyoming is graded 15th defensively per PFF. They've got an excellent secondary. They've got a solid pass rush. But their D-line coach got hired by Washington State, so he won't be there. I think only one player that I've seen so far is ruled out, uh, and it's their nickel corner, Keon Blankenbaker, who is a solid player. He entered the transfer portal. The guy that I'm kind of watching is Chad Muma, who's, who's the Buckus Award finalist for them. Everything I've seen is he's expected to play, but I guess it should probably be monitored. Their offense, though, is dreadful. Uh, they play two quarterbacks, Sean Chambers, Levi Williams. Neither of them are good. They, they're, in fact, they're bad. They, they can both run the ball a little bit, which is where Wyoming wants to live. Uh, Valaday and uh, Swin, Titus Swin, have been a nice one-two punch at running back. They, they've got they're, – they're a decent ground attack. And decent's really all you need against Kent. Um, but it's, it's hard to expect, it's hard to know what to expect with Kent. They, they won the, the Mac East, which is the weaker side. They avoided Toledo. They avoided ball from the West. They lost to Western Michigan. They lost to central Michigan, and then they split with Northern Illinois. Uh, and they lost in the, in the Mac title game outside that win over Northern Illinois. Their best win is over six and six Miami of Ohio. So this is, you know, we talked about UTEP and kind of being a fraudy, you know, a fraudy bowl team. Kent State might be, they might be a fraudy, you know, conference championship, uh, you know, runner up. 
their defense is dreadful. And having seen Wyoming already beat two MAC teams this season, Northern Illinois and Ball State, I, I think Wyoming it playing in the famous, the world famous Idaho Potato Bowl. It, I think Wyoming is going to have a travel edge. I'm guessing they're going to have a crowd edge. It's hard for me not to back the Cowboys here in this one. What do you think? Well, I would say this. For all of the information that you just put out there about this game, I, I'm glad that you let off because this was this was basically the game that I had no feel on in terms of the spread. Wyoming, If I felt like every time I looked up at a Wyoming score, it was midway through the fourth quarter and it was, you know, both sides had a two in front of it and it was just a gross football game. Yeah. That to me, if you're playing, if you, if people, if you're not familiar with this bowl game, this is played at Boise state on the blue turf in late December. And some of the temperatures for this game, it's not uncommon for it to be in the teens and the under I don't know, Mac, if we have this, we may be able to, to add this and tweet this out later on, but the weather in this game is traditionally terrible. And for that reason, when you talk about Wyoming and the defensive side and that both of these teams are below 500 against the spread, the only thing I like in this game is the under at 59. That is the piece that I, that this very easily, if there's any sort of weather at all, I don't think they come anywhere close to that 59 number. I would tend to agree, and it, it's listen. It's scary to bet an over in a Kent State game uh, because they don't they don't care about defense at all, all. Uh, but if there's one team that may not take advantage of it, it could be Wyoming. And like you said, I think the weather will play a big role here. So uh, I, I, I lean that way as well. All right, let's get into our best bets. I'll go first since mine is is a little earlier in the week than yours. I'll go to the Myrtle Beach Bowl, baby, a big one. Tulsa minus nine and a half against Old Dominion. I'm going to be best bet on Old Dominion plus nine and a half. And this is one of these games where I think the game means significantly more to Old Dominion than it does to Tulsa. This is the first bowl game for Old Dominion since 2016. They were one and 11 in 2019. They didn't play a single game in 2020. If you recall, they started out this season one and six and then won their last five straight to get bowl eligible, including three of those as an underdog. They are clearly headed in the right direction. And Tulsa has a lot of turmoil in their coaching department. Uh, the DC, Joseph Gillespie, gone to TCU, taking a bunch of assistance with him. The offensive line coach, Zach Hansen, he's gone to USC. Uh, th- this is going to be an ugly rock fight type of game. I think both these defenses have huge advantages over the offenses here. Tulsa won their last three games to get bowl eligible too, but they've got some ugly losses on their resume, including a loss to FCS UC Davis. So you're losing to an FCS school. Woof. Uh, I think Tulsa has a hard time running a ball here. I think it's a low scoring game. So I think nine and a half is just too many points. Old Dominion plus nine and a half going to be my best bet for this early bowl slate. No counter for me on this one. Uh, like the pick, it was one of the ones that I had circled as well, and I'm glad that we talked about it beforehand so that we didn't come into this with the same pick, but I don't, I don't have any – no pushback for me on that one. All right, and let's get into your best bet, which is on the Frisco Bowl. It is, and this is the other one out of the early slate that I had circled as this is a it's just a good football game. You've got two teams that both played in there. I know they're group of five conference championships. But San Diego State and UTSA 
both playing in their conference championship, UTSA winning it out of Conference USA, and then San Diego State getting their doors blown off by, by Utah State, which I think surprised a lot of people. Because of that, this is another one that I think coming into it, I do think UTSA is actually the better team. I think the fact that they ended the season unranked is, is a bit of a slap in the face. And, well, I I should say in the, in the college football playoff rankings, I think in the AP they ended up being ranked at 24. But in the playoff rankings, which don't necessarily matter, they were unranked. But I think UTSA is the better team in this game. They are favored at that two and a half number. But this is another one that I think you add on the, the fact that San Diego State got smacked around the way that they did and that they're having to travel to Texas. I think UTSA will have a decent crowd in this game. I really like UTSA to win by more than a field goal here. So I'll take UTSA minus two and a half. Yeah, I I faded UTSA in, in the Conference USA title game. Obviously, I was wrong again about them. Um, and considering how San Diego State looked in their bowl game, there's certainly reasons to doubt them. That said, I, I think that the rushing attack for UTSA, it, because I, I one thing, another bowl where the weather is usually dreadful is that Frisco Bowl. Uh, it, it, like you think, oh, it's Texas, Frisco. It, it is. It's cold. It's cold. It, it's windy. Uh, I think the weather should be monitored. And if it's cold and windy, I think that that game could play out as a San Diego State game. Uh, because it, if UTSA can't throw the ball, you know, consistently, and they're forced to run against that team, that scares me a little bit. San Diego State stinks on offense. They stink but they've got the best punter in the world on their team. <laughs> 51 and a half yards per kick for Matt Ariza. The other thing that worries me about UTSA, and, and I don't really have a strong take here. I'm just playing devil's advocate, but this is the first, like this could be Brady Hoke's looking for his first bowl win since the 2011 sugar bowl, which that, that coincides with the last year that Michigan beat Ohio state. Like that's how long ago it was the Brady Hoke uh, winning at Michigan. I, this is one of the tougher games to call for me. This is going to be a, a sit back and watch game. But I, if the weather is ugly, the under 49 and a half is something I'm going to look at for sure. Because I, I think if if this turns in if this turns into a ground game, there's not going to be a lot of points scored on either side. I think UTSA's weakness to the pass, there, you know, that that got exposed in the second half, not the first half against Western Kentucky. It doesn't matter in this game, and and if they can slow down the run against San Diego State, this this could just be kind of a rock fight type of game. Yep, totally agree. And for QTSA, I still think back to what a disappointment it is that they lost that game to North Texas because they had a real shot here to run the table and and, and be that perfect fourteen and zero, which you just don't see very often. All that said, incredible season for the Roadrunners, and I think we talked a lot today about motivation. If there's a side that I see more motivated, I think it's UTSA, and they also, I think, are the better team. Uh, so, again, I like their side in this one. All right, that'll do it for another episode of R.J. Bell's Dream Preview College Football Edition. This is the bowl edition, the early bowl edition. We'll be back next Tuesday with another run of games, hopefully with some winners to discuss. Appreciate you guys listening all year. And like I said, there, you know, there's some goodies for you at the beginning of this podcast to save you some money or, or win you some, uh, win you some prizes. If you want to play in a little bowl confidence, uh, thing, you might as well, might as well win some real money here that, I mean, who, your, your office pool. Okay. Yeah. You win 50 bucks. Cool. How about, how about go out there, make some real money, make 
a thousand dollars cash, five hundred bulk dollars for winning that thing. Get on to pregame.com and check that out. Taylor, appreciate you making time. I know you're busy over there. You're you're gallivanting around Europe right now. Uh, so appreciate you making some time for us. A little little off our normal schedule, but uh, but always good to hear from you. Thanks to McKenzie and Brad in the back, and thanks to you guys for listening. We will talk to you next week, and good luck with bowl season. Appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you all next week. Mm-hmm.